0: This is the KOW Philly Soccer Show. I'm KOW's Greg Willandini. This week, Adam Kahn from the Philly Soccer Page is my guest. Union are in an interesting position. Had a nice one against DC. They're advanced to the next round in the Open Cup, depending on when you listen to this. To tomorrow, uh, tomorrow night, or tonight. Again, up in uh, New York uh, or North Jersey. You know, if you want to get you know pedantic, uh, um, facing the Red Bulls <laughs> again. Who you know who they faced a couple weeks ago. And uh, the Open Cup, definitely a team they're very familiar with. So let's talk about D.C., though. Um, big win in the league, really needed. That was kind of a six-pointer just because D.C. is one of those teams. I think they're kind of going to be churning around with all season.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. And I also think that D.C. is one of those teams where when you look back at the end of the season, the difference between making and missing the playoffs in the East could come down to, you know, did you take the points off D.C. that you should have?
0: Yeah, absolutely, and and again, you know, calling this a six pointer, you know, calling it a must win because again, the, the, their home form's been kind of off. Uh, they had that earlier home stand where they only got the one point. They've gotten three points so far. This they got one more game coming up coming up Sunday against the Revs. Um, but let's look again at this DC game. I was impressed, and I've been impressed with uh, Alejandro Bedoya just. What he's been doing, kind of coming out of that eight position. Uh, what what have you seen, kind of on the tactical side, with Bedoya kind of getting more acclimated to that spot?
1: Well, one thing that stood out to me uh, against DC was that Bedoya did an excellent job covering for in whenever he went forward mm-hmm. and whenever he went wide. He was he was very aware of that, and there were a couple times where he was making sprints across the middle third of the field to cover just to slow down breaks and I think that that takes so much of the pressure off of the defense and it's also necessary because you know one of the things that we might talk about later is the the union back line tends to grant a lot of space on the counter they they drop quickly mm-hmm. and so having Benoit be able to read where to be to cover you know an enormous amount of space that's being left there is is a huge deal and then you know we can talk about him going forward I I know it's been you know it's been highlighted on MLS already just how how useful he is coming from a deep position to take um, a run against the back line and I think especially with the Union not getting much production out of their ten spot and using guys who tend to stay central at the ten it's it's necessary to have someone who's going to explode out of midfield into the corners.
0: That's that's really what jumps out at out of me and yeah, that's a good word for exploding like he. He's able to get into space quickly, either with or without the ball, and and do something useful. I mean, he had the, he had the, the assist on on Fafa's great goal, but it was a really it was a really nice ball. I think he was you know we all saw he was picking out CJ. CJ got tied up, and CJ had you know the the wherewithal to give Fafa space because he knew he couldn't get to the ball himself, but able to get you know. But that's Bedoya again, kind of attacking space and getting a really nice ball in. And earlier that he created a scoring chance where CJ got knocked down. I thought could you know I think a lot of people thought it could have been a penalty, but um, that was again where he got a penalty. Yeah, yeah. Again, where he got into open space with the ball, did something useful, you know, and made made really good decisions in in space.
1: Yeah, and especially when you're not getting, you know, you're not getting a lot of. Well, you're not getting any um, no. goals out of Chris Pontius. You want to find ways to get Pontius closer to the goal too, because you know getting him going could go a long way towards jump-starting an offense that that has really struggled um, to produce regularly over the past month or so. And getting Badoy into those wide areas means you can get Pontius more narrow. And I think I think that's probably something you want right now. You want Pontius around the goal. Try to get that you know that crooked number on the board for him so he mm-hmm. can relax. Um, you know, as much as he'll probably say it doesn't bother him, you know, a guy who scored as much as he did last year wants to get that first one off, get that monkey off his back. And especially against D.C., one of the things that, you know, I wrote about this weekend that you could tell the union were doing was trying to get in behind Taylor Kemp, especially because uh, Kofi Opari has never been a very strong positional defender. And so when Kemp is out of position, that leaves a ton of ground over there. And Bedoya being able to not just take that space but pick the right times to take it and not leave the midfield exposed, I think that that went a long way towards making sure the Union could, um, you know, hold on to that win. And they still, you know, as much as we talk about this, you know, I'd I'd love to hear your perspective on why the Union didn't generate more chances. I I think what they didn't have their second shot um, after the goal until the 70, second shot on goal maybe until the 73rd minute or so, I mean, I guess until um, CJ got a shot, and then of course Simpson took a took three. I think once he came on, um, but there was a long time in there where they weren't accessing the goal, and um, you know that's that's something that they're going to need Badoi to keep getting forward if they mm-hmm. want to produce more chances.
0: Yeah, that, that's definitely. It's an interesting point because at halftime, Curtin said, "You know, we want to push push smartly, but push for that second goal." We don't feel like one's enough, and it turned out it was. A big part of it was because Andre Blake was you know, sensational, and right. made two absolutely massive saves. But it, it, I don't think it wasn't a tactical thing. It wasn't like okay, we our a goal, we're gonna we're gonna bunker at least from what Jim said and, and Jim Curtin said in that at halftime between the halves that he wanted to uh, he wanted to push but push smartly for that second goal. So I'm not sure. I mean, I think you could point to things. Uh, again, they're. They're running out there with a 10 that's not a true 10. So they don't have a guy that can generate a lot. Um, You you know, you got guys that are just flat out not scoring for you around. Chris Pontius can't get a goal. Um, CJ, you're hoping it's not happening, but CJ's kind of tailed off a little bit, kind of at the same spot he did last year. I mean, it it seems like it's a different year. He's played really well, but. Yeah, you know, he, he. You worry about him maybe not seeing the goal much for, right now. So I'm, I'm not sure why they didn't get it, why they didn't generate it. But I think you could look at kind of maybe those those couple little little things there.
1: Yeah, and I, I think I think the ten one is something that everyone's going to talk about, mm-hmm. and it you know rightly so. Uh, I I'd also think that they they've struggled a little bit with how to balance the you know they they've changed a few things to to get more solid defensively with how the fullbacks go forward. And, you know, Curtin, you know, a couple of months ago talked about, you know, making sure we always have three in the back, which means, you know, if one fullback goes, the other has to stay. Mm-hmm. And I think even with Wynaldum and Gattis in there, um, you know, sort of the two guys you didn't start the year with, you, you saw that there, there isn't a lot of balance in how those fullbacks get forward. Um, when Gaddis gets forward, you'll see Wynaldum stay. And um, when Wynaldum gets forward, you, you might see Gaddis stay, but there are times where neither one gets forward. And I think that that really restricts what they can do um, in terms of spreading the field on offense mm-hmm. and, um, you know, establishing possession up there. So if, especially with Fafa liking to come inside so much, you end up with a lot of space on that left-hand side. And, um, you know, Fabinho has been a little bit more conservative with his runs forward. Uh, Wijnaldum gets forward, but he tends to, he tends to wait to get forward. So he'll wait till um, he's pretty sure they have possession and the ball is being recycled around and then he'll get out there. Um, and, and it, it is a, a question of whether, you know, without a 10, um, especially without a 10, but still using, you know, attacking minded guys there, how you're going to generate those chances. Cause you know, you could say a press is, you know, a press is your playmaker, but then you have mm-hmm. to have good pressure. And I don't think, I don't think you're going to have ideal pressure with either Alberg or Elsini. I will, I will make a, a statement that it, it would be very surprising if you had great pressure with Alberg or senior with a 10, just because. That's, at this point we have enough data to say they're gonna you know they're gonna turn on and off throughout the game
0: yeah it's interesting too because when you think about it your last two kind of true number tens and Barnetta and uh, before him uh, shotka Madonna there were guys that could get left they they filled that left-hand channel a little bit where space might be created like you know, yeah Ma- yeah Madonna yeah I mean Madonna was he' kind of started out with the union almost as a left left side at. uh uh midfielder, but when he was more in the central spot, he kind of drifted and looked for the game a lot on the left same thing Barnetta was was kind of a left sided player, so you know again, like you said you you have these guys that are playing at the number ten but they they don't kind of look for the game on, on the wings too much
1: no no This, i mean it's it's pretty clear that you know el for for the progression he's made at that ten spot you're you're still looking at a guy who doesn't doesn't read the game quickly from the ten position you know they're there are a lot of times where you'll see him notice that he hasn't. There's an open lane from the ball carrier to him, and he'll just ask for the ball right there where he is. Right. Which, if you're a winger, is, is kind of what you want. You know, give me the ball now. Let me turn and run at someone. But when you're when you're the ten, you want to. You know, you see the lane. You check behind you. Is there a striker here? Should I clear out of this space? Um, if there's a lane right here, can I step forward and then, you know, make a sprint to the side so draw the defense towards me? And and you don't see that. You don't see anyone trying to. Um, you know, basically trying to manipulate the defense. You see Ilsenia taking advantage of the chances when they when they show up, but he's not he's not moving the defense around himself. And I think that's that's a big issue. I'm also kind of curious about you know having Pontius on the right rather than the left. If he's still his movements, you know, as good as he is, if his movements aren't quite as natural as they were when he was on the mm-hmm. left, um, and if that's something that you know over time over the course of the season we'll see improve.
0: No, that's 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 an interesting point about Pontius that. Yeah, because he's been a left-sided left guy for so long in his career that he's he's adjusted, he's adjusted well. I mean, he's picking up the assists. He's getting some opportunities. It was a two games ago against what was the Red Bulls where he had opportunities. And he, he couldn't really connect with it. Um, right. I don't know if it's a full, you know, how much longer they're going to do it. You know, I'd, li- I'd like to see Herbers out there more, well, kind of on his natural right side or even more centrally. But, you know, right now – Jim seems to be, he's trusting his his veterans a lot and, and wants to keep Pontius out there. And you know, this is kind of morphing into, a, into a, a conversation about the number 10. But, but I think also the big problem for me, the lack of that true number 10 in that spot is they have so much trouble dictating tempo of the game because they don't have somebody that does that. They kind of, like Ilsenio for all his strengths, he's kind of a one-gear guy. he He gets the ball, he wants to take guys on. He doesn't Right, really shifts speed, shifts tempo very much at that spot. Bedoya wasn't well. Bedoya wasn't a ten, but he wasn't doing it when he was in that in that position. And neither was Alberg. I mean, yeah. Uh, you know. So that for me is my biggest concern. I think that has hindered them in kind of seeing games out where they could get a guy that could put his foot on the ball and kind of slow 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 things down a little bit and pick out passes a little better. Where they just have guys that have kind of one gear, one tempo, and one speed.
1: Yeah, I, you know, I, I've I've been one of those who's very resistant to the, sort of the idea of a 4-4-2. Mm-hmm. But, but I think at, at some point, given the options at your disposal, you have to say, are we really playing a 4-2-3-1 at this point, or are we playing basically more of a two-striker, you know, sitting striker setup? Because there, there's nothing natural about how um, Iosinho or Roland Alberg um, you know, defend. It's it's something where they, you can tell they're, they have to think through where they should be. Mm-hmm. And at that point, you, you wonder, is it worth adding Jay Simpson up top and having CJ sitting in and just pretty much using CJ as, as that wall, that, you know, that center of gravity and tell him, look, you go in and you get the ball once it's coming out in transition. Even if you're not going to be a great passer, make yourself available, sit on it, draw fouls, draw contact, and play simple balls, you know, back to Medunian in. And there was one exchange uh, in the game on Saturday where, uh, you know, CJ popped out wide to get the ball after, um, I think it was, Bedoya dropped it to Medunian in, who then played it forward to Osenio, who dropped it back again, and then Medunian could spread the field. Mm -hmm. And that's the sort of thing where you go, that's probably a role CJ could play in in the, you know, deeper striker role where he just gets it, gives it, and then he rolls forward. Um, and I, I think that's something you have to look at because right now it's—I don't know—it's—it's it's hard to argue that you, you're playing with a ten the way you, sort of Jim Curtin would want a ten, which is a guy who puts in the defensive effort in a smart way and then also can be creative offensively. Because uh, you know, I—I I think I think you see flashes of it with Albert or Senior but you definitely don't see any level of comfort. Radio.
0: What you know intrigues me about getting Simpson on the field in the cup game against Harrisburg, and you can argue one way or the other about oh, it's a cell competition, it's this and that. But tactically, and I don't know if this was something the player did on his own, I don't know if it was drawn up, but he played slightly deeper, was able to pull defenders towards him, created a lot of space for kind of guys around them, and he was more the distributor in that game. He picked up the two assists. He could have connected on a couple goals. He was a bit snake bitten that he had, he had one really. Keeper came out and made a very good save on him in one opportunity, but just kind of making that slight tactical shift where he was at the lone striker, but he was, you know, you almost want to say a false nine. I don't think it was quite that, but he, he was a little deeper. You, you know, you pulled pull one of the center backs kind of deeper with him. There was space or space for CJ. Do you make that tactical change? Do you make, you know, if you want to stay in. I mean the point you make I like where you could almost make it a 442 and have CJ that deeper guy and kind of muck around and do some some kind of heavy lifting to get the ball but if you want to stay in that 4231 where you have Simpson in that spot but he's slightly deeper maybe you keep CJ on as a winger and he gets some more space where he gets a lot more open cleaner looks at goal I I Again, I don't know if that's how they drew it up. I don't know if that's kind of what Harrisburg gave them and they took it that night. But it, it was it was just a really intriguing thing to me.
1: Yeah, and I, I mean, I think you have to you have to sort of ask at some point. You know, they've been very sort of inflexible with uh, sticking to the 4-2-3-1, and I, I'm fine with that. Um, but I, I do think that in some ways they've you know you're trying to you're trying to well, not in some ways, in many ways, you're trying to fit square pegs into round holes in that 10 spot right now. And I think, I think everyone knows it. Um, and there's, you know, there's a chance it can work. There are times it works. I think against DC, you know, a team that, um, they're not going to threaten you with a lot of runs through the center. They've got Acosta. They're going to find him in pockets, but you know, there weren't a ton of times where you were worried about, uh, Harks or Jared Jeffrey, um, you know, sneaking in through the you know, gaps in the center but against teams that are better at that i mean against teams like portland who who can send runners who have you know smart intelligent attacking minded guys you know even nyc with uh, alexander ring has has proven great at this this season you know you you need someone in that 10 role to sort of protect your midfield and that's that's essentially what you want is um you know works with the striker to push the ball into areas that are beneficial for you as a defense make it easier for you to defend and if if it's easier for teams to bypass you and a couple times that D.C. did bypass that first line of defense on Saturday, it becomes a lot harder to defend because now teams can come up the middle or down the wing on you. and You don't have at least that body in the center just in the right position to sort of make them take the long route around.
0: So it seems like the team at least conceded the fact that they need help at the number 10. They had the trialist in from Costa Rica, uh, Elias Aguilar. I'm probably killing his name, but uh, I think I'm in the neighborhood at least. Um <laughs> And just some of the comments Curtin made today. There was some rumor about it was a financial thing, but uh, Jim basically said, "Now it was, we looked at the guy, really not a fit for us. We're moving on," which is which is fair enough. I'm not saying, you know, they got to sign every trialist that comes through town, but <laughs> you know, at least they're they're conceding the fact that they need somebody at that position, and they took they're taking a look at an external solution for that spot.
1: Yeah. And I, I, I guess the real question, uh, you know, I'm, I'm curious what you think of this is getting, getting a 10, how much closer does that put the union to being a playoff team? Um, you know, at this point what they've beaten Houston who hasn't run on the one on the road, they've beaten, um, New York city or New York Red Bulls in a game that was, I th- think still the second most lopsided in terms of a uh, away team expected goals. New York just couldn't finish. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've, you know, they've beaten D.C. a couple times. Uh, you, you sort of, at some point, they need to show that they can hang with a bigger club. They need to show that they can sort of punch and be punched either way. And, um, you know, they, they've shown that a couple of times against New York City where, where they can hang in these games. But they don't they don't control play. And, and New York City has proven very adept at saying, all right, if we just keep pounding on the door long enough, the union will break. Um, and, and, so the, I think one question is, is a 10 enough to take them to the next level or is that sort of, do you need a 10 and then you need to reassess and say, okay, well, what else do we need to, to make this happen? Cause I, I was looking at the numbers and this is excluding the DC game and the union, um, have the highest expected goals against at home of any team in the league right now. Um, and I think that'll change now they shut out DC and DC will be, DC was the only team close to them about one and a half. Goals mm-hmm. per game given up uh, or expected to give up at home, and that that doesn't bode well for the future. I mean, I think that as strong as the defense has been, only giving up twenty goals, getting a ten will help. Uh, but you also have to sort of look around and say, what other changes is you know switching the fullbacks, Weinald and Gaddis, is that going to be enough to make us a playoff team, or do we need multiple moves? Because, I mean, you you look at the wingers, and if it's only going to be Farfapi Pico goals then uh, you're gonna have a tough time um, surviving the rest of the season
0: I think a 10 is a big step forward if it, you know if it's the right guy and it's the right guy for the system because you know I, like I always say the union are a hell or high water they're a system team they're gonna run their system the way they think it should be run and they just need and a couple of the spots like you said earlier you know this is the square pegs. And certainly is at the ten. But if they get a guy that they feel can really work the system, because it goes back to, like I said, my biggest concern is, and I think that's why they have trouble seeing games out, and that's why I think they have a trouble adjusting is they don't they don't control tempo very well. And I think having that guy in the middle that can, like I said, you know, just dictate play a little bit from from you know centrally. Because for, for all of uh, you know, Harris's talents, he's not really that guy. Um, Bedoya isn't. He's he's the box to box, hard worker, you know, you know, extra guy in, into the box and all that. So he's not really a guy that's going to control the tempo for you. Um, the guys, they have on the bench, Graval's not going to do that for you. So and Ilicino's not. I mean, we've we've seen enough. Like you said, we've seen enough of him. We know he's not going to be that guy. He's he can do other things for you, but he can't really be that. So I think, you know, if you have a guy that can kind of build your possession numbers and hold the ball and kind of pick out passes for you and and just kind of take maybe take the air out of the ball a little bit later in games and slow things down for you, I think that's a big step. I don't see any other real glaring issues. Um, They're they're pretty set at the 6 and the 8, you know, no no matter how you want to kind of flip-flop it. You know, with the Bedoya going to the Gold Cup, it's going to be tough, but I think Warren can kind of sub in and, and be okay in that spot. And, and, you know, he'll be more defensive, obviously. It's more his game. You know, I really hope they figure out a way to get Keegan, Keegan back on on the field. I think that will improve things. But he didn't do himself too many favors, unfortunately, in the Harrisburg game. So I don't know how much farther along he is is getting getting back on the field. Um, you know, I I still think Jay Simpson can score goals in MLS if the you know, kind of things go right for him. So I think I think you're you're a pretty deep team. I, I don't see any real glaring problems outside of that number ten. And I think if they get the right guy, I think that that can push them forward significantly.
1: Yeah, I, I agree that that's that's absolutely the most glaring the most glaring issue. Although I am still worried about you know, even if you can control the tempo, sort of having the, the tactical ideas on how to control the tempo. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the thing that stands out against DC is when I watched, I went back and watched the last 15 minutes and the union actually didn't, didn't make a lot of bad turnovers, but what they also didn't do is create a lot of situations where they could, um, hold the ball for an extended period of time. Right. You know, they, they were quick to move forward and, uh, you could see Jim, Jim Curtin down the sidelines, pushing the team to, uh, close space around the ball and win it back high up the field. And that's, that's good, but it also meant that they were getting very stretched out. And, and the one, so sort of the one thing that I think is going to be interesting as the season goes on with the depth the Union have at center back is how they handle that because you consistently see late in games that both Jack Elliott and Aguchi and Yewu tend to drag the line deep. Mm-hmm. The Elliott, of course, you know, he's a young guy. He's going to be conservative in how he plays defense. He'll drop quicker than he should. Uh, Anye will will take longer than uh, everyone else to get forward. Um, And so what you end up having is when they want to, if the union want to press the ball late in games, they end up leaving this huge space in the center of the field. And, um, and, you know, maybe a team like DC doesn't really destroy you with that, although they certainly had their their chances. Um, But, but it means that you are always, you know, just one or two passes away from having guys run at you. And I, I think, you know, leaving aside the fact that they do need a ten, they also need to figure out how do we change our game as a unit, as as a whole team, to protect these leads. How do we not just take control of the game in general, but in those last few minutes really just squeeze everything out of the Mm -hmm. game. And I mean you can't have things like against DC where, you know, I think Lamar Nagel got his head on that one that Blake saved in extra time. Mm -hmm. But even if he hadn't, Kofi Apart was right behind him and wide open and the union hadn't adjusted. Roland Alberg in the build up to that play takes away the pass to a center back instead of taking away the pass to Patrick Nyarko, who dropped off of the penalty area into space with no one around him. uh, you know, moments later, they're just, you know, they, they weren't sort of thinking through the issues they're going to come up against late in the match. And that's until they solve that. I mean, no matter what personnel you put on the, on the pitch, you're going to be in precarious situations, let's say.
0: So I want to talk about Keegan a little bit. Um, how far do you think he is from getting back on the field? Because he really, I think, needed a really good game against Harrisburg to. to and he wasn't terrible, but he didn't. He wasn't. I, he didn't do anything that I, that I think really put his stamp back on to that fullback spot. And I, I thought it was it was his first opportunity in a while to start, and he really kind of needed to go out there and 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 just kind of go all guns. And he really didn't, and you know I'm a big fan of the kid. I really want him to play, but you know he's got at some point's got to help himself out a little bit, and he, he really didn't in that situation. So how how far do you think he is from uh, getting back as a regular?
1: Well, I, I mean, the I, I guess I will throw this back to you in a second, but I you know the the big problem that he seemed to have last year was uh, positioning mm-hmm. and. You know, it's it's hard to put that all on him because the Union didn't, of course, have a have a very well put together line last year, and they struggled defensively in general. Um, but now, you know, they're getting some more continuity there, and sort of the way Ray Gaddis came in and has been able to have some continuity with Jack Elliott. You wonder if that's really what Keegan needs is just a chance to play every day next to someone, and and as he does that, he'll gain more confidence in in where he should be on the field. Because I I think that until he solves the positioning issue. Uh, that's going to overshadow the, you know, the clear talent that he brings on the ball, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, he's he's a good one-on-one defender. He's he's not weak in that area, but he puts himself in some really poor positions. And when he gets beat, then that that's just not something the Union can afford to do. And uh, and so I think he's he's to the point where he's going to have to get some serious game time either in Bethlehem, or in the Open Cup, where he just has a chance to sort of watch him make a mistake and then go back and watch himself and then get back out in the field and correct it. You know, right now he's, if he made mistakes in uh, the Harrisburg game, he might be able to go look at him and go, Oh yeah, I see that. But then it's another you know few weeks before he gets to get back out on the field and say, all right, let me try and correct that. And I think, you know, especially for a young guy who, who did tail off towards the end of that year and and has had success, so knows that he can play at this level. um, I I think it's going to be a confidence issue until he gets a run of games. And I, it's kind of hard to imagine where he gets that run from right now. Um, But I I think he's a ways away. He's multiple games of getting his feet back under him and, um, you know, being able to make mistakes and then fix them himself uh, before he can really challenge for that spot again. Um, But at the same level, if, you know, if Gaddis goes down, this is sort of be what I'll throw back to you. How confident are you in Keegan coming in right now, uh, you know, playing for a month with Gaddis sidelined? Are you, confident with that is it something where you're immediately on edge how, how should union fans feel if that becomes a situation?
0: I'm confident he could come back in. Uh, I think you make all great points and he's not getting games and when you you know and practice is drastically different in games we all know that and when you're not getting that opportunity in, in you know real game situations to like you said make mistakes play with somebody next to you. You know, just get a feel for kind of what the team wants you to do. It, it is tough, but I think he has enough, it's obvious he has enough talent that if he can, you know, if he gets thrown back in there and they absolutely positively need him to play, I think he could find it within himself to, to get himself right. You know, if he absolutely has to, I think it's there. I think the talent is there. But should he go down to Bethlehem and play four or five games? I don't think that's a terrible idea. I think that's why you have it. That's why you you know went out and got this USL affiliate for situations like this, instead of just having somebody kind of sit there and, and brood and you know kind of stewing their own juices and and kind of getting in their own head and these mistakes become big because, like you said, you're not getting an opportunity to fix them. You're not getting you know opportunity to put. The Harrisburg game behind you. Well, you know, I got you know we got New York coming up, so I could just jump back on the field. No, you, you're not getting that opportunity. You're you're kind of sitting and living with your mistakes a little bit. So if you could go to Harrisburg and just play and kind of push those things back a little bit in his head and just get opportunities, I, I mean, not uh, Bethlehem, I think that's again why you have that setup now. That's I mean, they gave that to Wijnaldum when he came in. He he wasn't MLS ready, or at least they felt he wasn't. And he needed a run of games to get acclimated to the country, to whatever, for whatever reason. But they felt he needed a run of games down in, in Bethlehem, and now he's working himself up. Why not give a guy who you've invested a lot in, who you, who you tout very highly, who you desperately wanted to get on your team, why not give him the same opportunity the same chance to – Get that wrong. Get those legs back underneath, underneath of them.
1: Yeah, and and it, it you know it, it has to be said, even though it's been said many times before, the, the opportunity cost of signing Rosenberry was high. You know, mm-hmm. you you specifically passed on on a left sided fullback who was getting called on the U.S. national team, who was sort of the consensus, other than the Union, you know, best fullback available, and that's a position that in MLS is, is hard to fill with someone who's consistent. Um, and so they you know they took a risk with Keegan, and I think he's he, he's paid it off at times, and you can definitely see the talents so you see why he, they took him. I also think that uh the way they're setting up right now isn't the most uh sort of doesn't fit his talents the best uh what they've done with with Medunion in has made it very easy for Gaddis to pass out of the back compared to um what they used to do, you know what they do a year ago or two years ago where um, you know when Nagero was on the field, there was really nowhere for Gaddis to go with the ball because he doesn't, you know, he doesn't have the range uh, to really play through lines that well. But by simplifying Gaddis's first pass, it's really been allowed him to focus on his defense and become a more consistent defender and a better player. And I, I think with Rosenberry, if you have a ten who's, who really wants the ball and is checking in, and you can play through the lines that way, then Rosenberry gives you a lot. You say, okay. Now we really want to get the ball up to Barnett, or we really want to get the ball up to whoever whoever's in that position Mm. directly from defense. Then, yeah, Rosenberry gives you that, and Gaddis you're you're much less certain that he can hit that ball. Um, But until then, and when you're just doing these simple passes out of the back for the fullbacks, I think there's not a lot of impetus to make the change unless Gaddis goes through sort of the the sort of fall off in form that he had a couple years ago that led to him um, you know losing that spot to begin with.
0: But even kind of some of the short substance that Keegan's had, you see how he integrates with other players so so well. Like he got—I I forget which game it was. Uh, I think it was the game uh, Gaddis was. I think was in car trouble, and I think he was sitting on a yellow and and Keegan came in and just really connected. I thought with Pontius almost from the moment he got on the field. So you could see like you said, where he can integrate with a number 10 and get the ball to him, a number 10 that's checking back and looking for the ball, he could make that diagonal pass to him or whatever. But you saw a little bit with with um, with Pontius so he got on there and they seemed like almost instantly on on the right wavelength, and he has that, like I said, he has that talent, and he has that kind of, that soccer knowledge to get on the field and just immediately kind of connect with other players. And, you know, he's like you said, he you know it's a it's a positioning issue with him more than anything else. Why he's struggling to get back on the field, but if he has that, he has, and this is no knock on Ray. Ray's a fine player, and you know he's played a ton of games now for this team, and always kind of does what he needs to do. But you know he doesn't have that that little extra that that Keegan has. So if he if he brings that to you on the field, can you live with the other stuff a little bit? If he yeah that.
1: I, I I see what you're saying because I I do think you know yeah it's the basic trade off of Gaddis and Rosenberg, whereas Gaddis they're definite offensive limitations and he has mm-hmm. uh, you know anyone who doesn't think he's improved hasn't watched him this year um, you know going forward his passing is more accurate his crossing is more confident um, he's he's not just conservative with the ball but he also makes you know safe decisions and having Jack Elliott there to spread the ball around next to him helps a ton I mean Elliott there was a pass and I think it was the 70th minute and another one in the first half, like 15 and a half minute where we where can hit these balls that are just, just bonkers up the field. Mm-hmm. And that takes a lot of the pressure off Gaddis because it means that, you know, you have to respect those, those lanes straight through the defense. Um, so, I, I mean, the, all of that sort of devalues what Keegan brings. Right. Um, that is, that is sort of his, his special thing that, that he offers that Gaddis doesn't. And, and I mean, they, everyone talks about, Keegan's high soccer IQ. So I think it's just a matter of getting him the time on the field with the guys around him in defense that he's, you know, not used to playing with right now, getting him time next to Elliot and Unyebu to to see if he can sort of bring himself back in because it, it does seem like it's gonna be a confidence issue and positioning is so much uh, not thinking. You know, it's it's just putting yourself in the right position, uh, non consciously. You know, you, you you move back, you see some cues and you put yourself in the right spot and you know, Gattis has struggled with that at times. I mean, the the um, the play that led to the penalty against DC that was that was Gattis, and I forget who else was on that side uh, having confusion about who should take the overlapping runner. Um, but in general, you see Gattis playing basically within his means very well. And when when Keegan has succeeded, that's the same thing you see from him. They both play within their means. They're very cognizant of what they can do and what they can't, and that allows them to get creative from time to time. And um, for Keegan, you know, when he gets creative, he does have something that that Ray doesn't bring. Uh, he he has, you know, a fifty-yard pass that he can put on a dime, and that's something that I think you really want. But you can't trade defensive solidity right. for that right now. If you're the, you've you've gone through too long of a period with uh, defensive issues, and even now, I think there's, um, you know, there's only so long you can sort of look at the underlying numbers and say that they're going to be. Uh, you know, I think right now they've got the fifth, fifth best, fifth best defensive record in the league, and um, I'm not sure the underlying numbers completely support them hanging on to that. Hmm. Um, Although Andre Blake does, as long as you've got Andre Blake, yeah, know, it's, that's <laughs> it, an, gives you a lot more leeway.
0: That's the other hiccup now, though. We're going to lose both Doja and Blake um, for a little bit, at least, uh, at least through the group stages of the, uh, of, the of the Gold Cup coming up. Um how much of you know we just talked about the defense that how much more pressure has that put on the defense where you don't have Blake backstopping it now
1: I mean if it's if if I'm if I'm a defender it puts a ton on me I I mean there's there's no getting around the fact that, that he he provides a level of you know safety net that that's incredibly nice to have I mean you you look at the way people react to some of the saves on the field and you can tell that there's saves that you know, players don't expect a goalie to make sometimes, mm. um, and that that says pretty much everything you need to know about how it should make Union defenders feel. At the same time, I think that um, it, it's it's going to be the sort of thing where as long as you have an aggressive goalie back there, um, you're going to be all right. I think one of the bigger worries I would have is losing Blake's uh, improved aerial game um, and having you know McCarthy's fine in the air, but he's also. A bit less uh, solid than Blake has been for this mm-hmm. year, and Blake has improved greatly. And I think that's that's one of the areas I would worry about more than any other because that's something he you know, struggled with in the past. And as much as they have big bodies back there in the middle, they don't have them on in the wide areas, and uh, that's where Blake's been very good about coming out and claiming crosses that are curling away from goal. And in the past, he hasn't been that good. Let me let me ask you a question, sort yeah. of before we get too far away from the the Keegan Ray question. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm curious about what you think. Uh, sort of similarly about Marcus Epps on that right side because you know as good as Pontius has been uh, at producing assists and serving the ball in uh, Epps has come in and I think he he looks really good on the ball and he looks like someone who's comfortable holding the ball and someone who's comfortable getting behind a defense and I, I'm curious about where you see him falling when Fabian Herbers is back and Pontius is back and Pontius probably isn't gonna lose a starting role, but there might be a bit more rotation to get him a rest and make sure that he can maybe go for longer than fifty five to sixty some games. Um, where do you see Epps falling in that right now? What have you thought of him?
0: I, I think Epps is very exciting. I think he had a again fantastic game against Harrisburg, very well taken goal and he's you know, he's just one of those he's he's raw. He's still a bit raw, but he has got a ton of tricks, he's got a lot of skill. Um it's nice to see a guy that likes to stay wide, where you know he's more. I think he likes to stay wide, you know, without the ball and get the ball and try to cut in. Where uh, you know, on the other wing, where Fafa is always kind of looking to to get inside, get inside, um, which is which is fine. That's just they're just different games, but it gives you that different look where he likes to stay wide, spread things out a little bit, and then gets the ball and kind of try to makes makes thing make something happen when he's got the ball. Uh, you you got to think. He's not quite a complete player yet, and Curtin emphasizes defense. Everybody on the field has to defend, so you, you got to think they're working on that with him and try to get him be a more complete guy. But he's he's really surprised me. I, I, I thought coming out of college, everybody I thought it was a nice pick. You'll get his goal scoring record in college and really jump off the page at you. But I I think long term, I think they they probably got a steal on that at that pick. Short term. I think when Herberts gets back, he, uh, Epps probably drops a little bit, probably heads back there to Bethlehem for a few more games, probably kind of on, on the shuttle squad, kind of back and forth, one of those guys that's going to go back and forth for you. But um, I think for the future, they got I think they they got a player, honestly. And if they could kind of round this game out a little bit, they, they really probably got to steal with him.
1: Yeah, I mean, what a draft! If he turns out and and Jack Elliott turns out yeah. to be a, a long term MLS player, that's that's quite a quite a draft considering that they there's still so many questions mm-hmm. about the the draft a year ago where they had three top six picks and yeah. you know, there's still some significant question marks above each of those guys.
0: Yeah, and, and we haven't really talked about him. I mean, Yaro seems like he's pretty much healed up and healthy, but he's not going to. He's going to struggle get you know, on the field with just. You know, Jack and, and Gooch are playing really well together. And I think Jim's really happy with that combination. I think for my money, I think they should rotate Gooch a little more. So you, you have him. I mean, he's he's not a kid. He hasn't played, a, you know, last couple of years, hasn't played a ton of soccer, but, you know, he's still got a lot of miles on him and, you know, no knock on the guy. But I think for the overall good of the team, they should just, you know, rotate him a bit occasionally. And you have the depth there. You have Richie and you have you know, a healthy Yarrow now where you can do that. So, but overall, I think, you know, Josh might, Josh Yarrow might have some trouble getting on the field.
1: Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think at this point, you, you know, it is, I completely agree with you that Onyeu should, he should not play on turf. I mean, Mm -hmm. just protect his knees. Um, He should also probably not, you know, not play twice in a week. Um, and that's, you know, like you're saying, it's not a knock on him. It's, it's more sort of a recognition of how valuable he's become right now that you, you want to make sure you have him for most of the year. I mean, even if he's not, you know, the most flat out talented guy, having him on the field, uh, seems to make a difference and it seems to make Elliot more comfortable. Elliot's gotten far better at recognizing that he needs to cover for Anyewoo. You see him, you see, uh, Elliot covering a lot more ground, Mm -hmm. uh, looking to make sure no one can get behind. I think that's that's a nice development. I'm not sure if that's coaching or if that's Elliot just recognizing that that's what he needs to do. But um, I think Yarrow and and Marquez, both of them, are, are good depth pieces, but also they're guys that, that when you're looking forward to the rest of the season are going to be guys who might, you know, there might be a call or two about them coming in, and you really need to consider whether uh, given given your depth at center back, they're pieces that are worth moving if you can get someone who's going to answer a different question on the field yeah. and uh, whether, you know, I don't think they're going to make a move for a striker, even though uh, Simpson hasn't fully convinced yet. Um, but you could see them if they could find a way to bring in a 10, or if they just need to free up a, a roster slot to bring someone in. I think those are guys who, who have the talent um, to be moved and also have the talent to fill in. Um, but Yaro has a, he has a lot of convincing to do. He's yeah. uh You've yet to show that you can put him out there for a string of games and and have a lot of success with him there. But um, on the other side, man, you know, same with Elliot, you could watch that guy pass all day and never get tired of it.
0: Yeah, and you know, I never thought they were going to get anything out of, uh, out of Jack. Honestly, it was like you know, nice pick, that guy, whatever. But he's really come in and and done such a nice job for them, and, and you got to be impressed with his passing and you were worried you were going to lose that, that that was, you know, that was Yarrow's strength is, you know, he had such great feet and he, his ability to kind of play himself out of, out of spots and get, get the ball forward. And Jack has that. And Jack, you know, has, has maybe even a little bit of a longer passing range.
1: I uh, mean, um, yeah, yeah. If it's, I think on the aerial balls, uh, Elliot looks a little more, he's a, more likely to be wayward than, than Yarrow, but both of them, I mean, mm-hmm if you get them a, a run of games and then tell them, all right, try and hit that guy upfield, they're going to they're gonna do it, and they're <laughs> going to do it you know, without thinking twice, which is, which is fun. But it's, actually, these long passes just got me thinking because I, the two passes that Elliott put through the midfield last game had me giggling. You know, they, mm-hmm. were just, they were such good passes, and he made them sort of looking up once and then decided, yeah, I can hit that. Mm-hmm. I think the one to Bedoya, just around a sliding tackle, uh, just a great pass. It was also, aside from Fafa's goal, it, those were probably the most exciting moments of the game to me. Yeah. Were those passes, and it got me wondering: Is, in general, is this Union team, which is sort of teetering on the precipice of being a playoff contender, versus being a team that you could also see it going the other way, where if Madunian goes down, um, you know, they're going to sit near the bottom of the league for a while. Is this an exciting team to watch? Is this a team that that gets gets people going? Does it get your adrenaline pumping, or is it a team where you're still like most of what sort of gets you watching the game is the, the wariness going like, all right, I need to watch because I, I want to know if they're going to be able to pull this off. That's Where, where
0: do you come down? on that? How do
1: you a, feel about them when you're, when you're watching?
0: This that's an f- interesting question. Um, I think they got guys on the field that can be exciting. Uh, I think Fafa is such a find and, and I, it's hard to say he was a fine. I mean, he's, you know, kind of, he was on the periphery of the national team setup, so he's, he he isn't known quantity when he, when you really get down to it. But uh, I mean, he's exciting. He's the fastest guy I think's ever played for this team, and not only like straight line speed, but he could just you know hit another gear on a dime and, and just you know pressure defenses or blow by guys, and that's incredible. So you're excited about him. Uh You know, Harris Harris a, a fun player to watch because. You know, he's the first guy you've had in a while that, that will take a shot from distancing and hit those long balls. But, I mean, those are individuals. Do you put it all together and you say, is this like, you know, is this a high-flying, exciting team? Uh, <laughs> it's yeah, tough it, for me to say that, honestly, because, you know, a lot of the things they do right are kind of grinding things out and knocking balls down and and... You know, CJ getting free for to banging a header and and stuff like that. So that you know, you know, on, on a scale from you know, like DC United from a couple of years ago to Barcelona, where are they on that scale? They're, <laughs> you know, they're somewhere in the middle, I guess. I mean, they they have moments where you get excited about it, but it's not like, you know, I I you know you know I watch the team because like I cover the team, be I'm a fan, but it, it's not like. Oh my! Oh my God! You know, I gotta, I gotta see what, what the what stuff's gonna happen because they're, you know, they're, they're so exciting. It, it, they're, you know, they're not. They're kind of a grindy team in a lot of ways, and and they've kind of conceded that. And again, you know, having a guy like Ray out there who's, who's kind of, you know, a real workman-like guy as opposed to, you know, guy who thinks more skilled Keegan Rosenberry, who's, who's could be a more exciting player. I know we, you know, we've kind of gone back and forth on that already. Um, it's hard for me to say this is an exciting team, you know. And, and you know, I want to, I want them to be exciting. I'm excited when they win, and I'm happy and all that. But you know, if, if it's, you know, if, if we're talking style, play, and and and, and all that, it, it's tough to it's tough to honestly say that sometimes.
1: See, that's about where I'm at, and I, it, <laughs> it bothers me because because you brought up a lot of good points. The, the, you know, there there are times where Madunian does things, you know, a little trickery to get around someone, you go, That was that was really cool. And Elsinho's capable of the same thing. I mean, there was a time against D C where he, he does City and Harks um in a way that I you know, I think the, the kids probably be thinking about for a while. And then, you know, Badoya's thrown himself in a sliding tackle in the middle of the pitch every single game and mm-hmm. Um, Anye will sometimes will just, you know, run over someone. Um and all of those things individually are sort of, you know, they, they make me smile. But I I against D.C., you know, I wanted I wanted some point where to really, you know, bring it home, I wanted there to be a time where everyone on the in the stadium could be going, Ole, Ole yeah, with each yeah. pass. And that I think that sort of control of the game you never feel, even though it's individually there are a lot of guys who can do these sort of exciting moments that if you if you like workmen like soccer, you know, the the Jurgen Klopp cheering for a James Milner tackle, you know, there are (laughs) certainly moments like that, but, but there's never a sense of, I don't know. They never engender a sense of confidence. And that, that worries me because it, it, you, you sort of felt it watching the game and, you know, I I don't get to go to these games, but watching it, even from a distance, you could feel that there was sort of an element of fragility to the game, even though the union were clearly the better team and clearly should have run away with that game. I mean, they, there was a break late in the game where if Simpson would have passed to Alberg, I think Alberg would have been in alone and Simpson elected to shoot around two guys for whatever reason. Mm. You just never get the sense that it's a team that, that feels confident in their position, whether they're ahead or behind. Um, You always feel like it always seems as though the next goal could come for either team. You never feel like this, you know, this is going Philly's way. And that, that worries me still that, that the team doesn't exude that sort of confidence. And then that prevents you from sort of, really getting excited by the moments of brilliance that they do have um because even even though it's something good that happens you're still sort of on edge and going all right is this going to be another nyc game where where you know the last 10 minutes everything falls apart right. I'm, I'm curious to see if they can get to that point where you know string together a couple wins like they did earlier this year then really just sort of say all right this is our style of play let's see if someone can really knock us off our throne and yeah. Uh, I'll be curious to see if they get there, because you know uh, I'm not sure a Jim Curtin team ever has, but um, there have been some Jim Curtin teams in the past that have been exciting. His first team, I think, playing run and gun, you know, mm. even countering, was a fun team. I, yeah. I still, you know, it, it's hard to believe that we had fun watching Andrew Winger play soccer, but we did. <laughs> and and so I'm I'm curious if this team, this squad, you know, if they when you think about it, you think, oh yeah, there's a way they could get there if it's, yeah. it's going to require bringing in a ten or someone like that.
0: Something I brought up a lot earlier in the year, especially when it seems they were starting to turn the corner, it's and you, you kind of touch on that. It's it's they don't impose themselves on team. They don't even in games they win. They don't like spare for a couple. They don't really just impose their style on another team, and and that's exciting. And and when you when you watch your team go out there and just bulldoze another team and just. Impose, like you said, impose themselves and you know have a style of play and just do it from minute one to minute ninety, and and that's fun, that's exciting to to me anyway. That you know when, when everything's clicking and everybody's on the same page, and you you, you you know there is that element of fragility, and you you know obviously you saw it against NYCFC, and it, it, that that keeps people on edge because they don't do that enough. They don't impose themselves for eighty ninety minutes on another team, so. Um, I think we're going to wrap it up soon, and we're contractually obligated to make a prediction uh, for the oh, game coming, coming up. Uh, New York, you know, both both teams. I think both teams have weekend games. And the Union certainly do. So you're probably going to see some some rotation. Not sure if they're going to do what Portland and Seattle did a couple, a couple weeks ago in the Cup, basically run out their you know their U twelve teams or wherever that was. <laughs> uh, um, so I think you're going to see rotation. You, you, well, you know, Bedoy's not going to be in prob- you know, certainly, and, and you're probably going to see uh, McCarthy in goal. Simpson may get a start. Uh, so I, having said all that, it's a little tough to predict because you just don't know what kind of team New York's going to have. Uh, I'm going to say 1-1 extra time, penalty kicks, Union winning on kicks. How do, how do you like that?
1: All right, I, I like that, but, you, but because you because you picked a draw, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you a follow up question. Okay, um, and and this is because I I really am curious about this. I it I, I didn't. It's taken me a while to even sort of come up with a stance on on how I feel about this. But you know, last week uh, New York had before their game that they lost. You know, Jesse Marsh was out of the country getting his UEFA coaching license. Mm-hmm which, I mean, UEFA is a European organization, so not something you need to coach in MLS. Um, So I guess I'm... How do you think... Give me your prediction. How do do you think a locker room reacts to that? A coach leaving middle of the season, leaving practices to his assistant to go and get a certification that that in any way you spin it is for his own future not being a part of that particular team. Uh, And I, I sort of wonder if that's if that weighs on New York at all, I'm, I'm curious what you think. What would you think as a player? Cause my first reaction was like, what the hell's wrong with this guy? Like, <laughs> like can't he hang out and do this when we're not in season? I understand uh, there are dates you have to set aside, but also you can go and get that license when uh, you have a chance that doesn't potentially negatively affect your team. And, you know, you can argue "Oh, as my assistants will handle that fine, but you're the head coach of a team right now. And uh, your responsibility is that team. And I, I don't know. it. It rubbed me the wrong way. I'm not sure if you know if if you make a good counter argument, I might come around. But for, on the surface, I that really bothered me, and I, 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 you know, I've I've plenty of reasons to think Jesse Marsh acts like a bit of a baby sometimes. But that that just uh that didn't that didn't endear him to me. That was what are your thoughts? It,
0: it was certainly very strange. Um, I I don't know if this is like a Red Bull thing that they're making all their. Uh, all their guys, uh, all their coaches get this UEFA badge because they're European. You know, they have European teams, or you know, European company, right. all that. So I don't know if there's like external pressure on him to do that, but to do it in the middle—not really in the middle of a game, but you know, middle of the season after a win, clock's not at you know ninety yet, and you kind of run off the field and wave to everybody. I gotta, I gotta go to Poland, guys. See you. Yeah, I think you kind of look around a lot, and I think that that's that's a weird team to me right now. Anyway, because I really think they ripped their heart out when they traded Dax McCarthy, Um, and I still think they're kind of searching for their identity as a team. So you you know you have your team in that position, and then the coach is kind of you know screwing off to Europe and doing whatever he's got to do. It's weird. I, I don't know. I I'd be kind of looking around if. Especially if I was kind of like a veteran guy you know I, I'd be looking around like what what kind of situation am I in here with 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 this with this coach so it's a you know, it's a bit of a strange uh, bit of a strange thing to me i i i, I, I could imagine him curtain doing that i, I think he i, I couldn't imagine him curtain walk, walking off the field where there's the uh, time still on the clock in a situation like that i, I you know honestly i, I would I
1: would struggle to understand how how Jim Curtin would justify it if he did because it doesn't it doesn't sort of fit with the ethos that he's tried to yeah. he's tried to build here. You know the 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 team comes first. is It's hard to argue the team is coming first when you mm-hmm. when you leave while the team is still playing. Um, and you know this isn't I didn't just want to take shots at Jesse March. I was sort of curious about the idea in general of of your coach leaving to to you know do something where it furthers his own career and and um, doesn't necessarily put put you first. So I was just. Just I wanted to. I wonder if the league take some of... shots at march along the way.
0: But, yeah. <laughs> always, always get a chance to do that. I wonder if the week, league, after seeing that, kind of quietly does something? I um, not not like a punishment on on Jesse, but put maybe puts a bylaw in and says, "Well, you really can't do that." And you know, if it's something yeah, really. that, yeah, you know, I, I I caught on uh, ESPN FC, they were talking about it, and the the optics are kind of bad, you know. <laughs> When you, when you think about yeah, it, when, when you're, Internally and externally. When, especially externally. When, you, when you're trying to sell this league as, you know, a, a burgeoning big major soccer league and you want this league in 10 years, whatever the plan is, to be maybe not on the same footing as a Premier League, but, you know, kind of on the ascension and going towards, like, you know, the Bundesliga, the Premier League and all that. You know, the optics of it are kind of strange. So I I I would think that, somebody in the legal office is thinking, you know, let, let's try to discourage and kind of quietly put something in somewhere and somebody in some kind of agreement or some, in some bylaw where you can't do that anymore.
1: Yeah. Or, or, you know, find a way to, if, if MLS is going to produce coaches that want to move to Europe one day, then MLS should, you know, find a way to work with UEFA and say, well, can we find some dates that fit yeah. both our schedule and your schedule? You know, it's, you know, I'm sure for UEFA, it, it's very interesting to have American coaches over there with the licenses, and, and it'll get more Americans watching European soccer, which is you know beneficial. So find find a way to make it work. But yeah. but you know I don't know the way it happened was maybe maybe very weird. If I was if I was a player, I would have been mm-hmm. like, all right, so I give it all every day. This is my commitment. i have a few questions, and I you know I'm glad you brought up Dax McCarty too because man, how how valuable is that guy? Oh, Definitely yeah. one I, mean, of the, I think one of the best. <laughs> Press breaking defensive midfielders in yeah, MLS right I mean, now. he's
0: you know, he's got he's having the time of his life right now playing with uh, you know Bastian Schweinsteiger in Chicago, and they're just you know the two of them kind of tearing oh, up the good. league together. So yeah, I mean
1: as 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 you thought they might. I mean having having a goal bringing in a goal scorer has helped them too. But man, that, that hmm. team just looks completely revitalized. And oh they look yeah. like they're
0: just going to keep getting better with that midfield certainly. And you know and our, our old friend uh, Velko on the uh, stalking the sidelines. Uh, so. Well, thank you. All right, my prediction. Pro- prediction? Yes. Wait, let
1: me let me give it real quick. Yeah. Sorry. Um, <laughs> all right. I'm I'm actually going to go. I think uh, I think New York really needs a rebound. I think they're going to go with a strong team. Um, mm-hmm. Prioritize the cup more than they have in the past. I'm gonna, I'm going to say that it's uh, New York to Union one. Um, and uh, I really hope that's not the case because I I love watching Union make these open cup yeah. runs. So I hope they do well.
0: Yeah, ain't the cup fun? <laughs> Uh I want to thank you very much for joining Adam, Adam Kahn of the Philly Soccer Page who uh always always graces us with his knowledge and his presence. Uh tell us where you can uh check out your stuff Adam.
1: Uh phillysoccerpage.com um that's that's where I'm writing these days and you know still still loving it this far in yeah. and uh you know hopefully on this podcast from time to time.
0: Yep, and uh, we should have Mike back at the full next week. Uh, he's out uh, enjoying some some vacation time, uh, some well-earned vacation time, but he'll, he will should be back next week. And uh, I want to thank everybody for listening. We'll catch you next week.